Our Old Testament passage today begins in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 21. 2 Kings, chapter 21, beginning with verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. So this is a young king. Okay, this is a young king. And he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. This is a long-serving king. So this was a man that was 77 years old when his kingship was over. His mother's name was Hephzibah. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now that, that's hard. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Not man, but in the sight of the Lord. Now, beloved, you're going to have to understand this as distinction. What people call good, God calls evil. Evil in the sight of the Lord. Now notice, of the Lord. Again, not man. According to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. He rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. One of the, one of the great reforms under Hezekiah was to, to get rid of these, these demon altars. And he erected altars for Baal, and he made an Ashereth, as Ahab, the king of Israel, had done. And he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. So we have Baal, we have the Asherah, and we have the host of heaven. And later on, you'll see in Ezekiel how they, they worship the stars and the sun and the moon and all of that and the, the constellations. He built altars in the house of the Lord of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, I will put my name. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Satan defiles God's house. Now this is one of the things that I, I've, I didn't understand as a young pastor, but I've begun to understand more and more the longer I live. Satan hates the house of God. He hates it when we build an altar for God in the earth. And he, he wants to build these demonic altars there. You, you go all through the Middle East and you'll see where once there had been synagogues, there are now demon altars. Where once there had been Christian churches, there are now demon altars. It, it amazes me. You go across Europe and you see what used to be a church is now forgive me, a horrible place for, for all kinds of things that we won't even get into discussing this morning. It's disgusting. Now, now this young man went into God's house. He didn't just do it on the mountains outside. He didn't just rebuild those altars that his father had destroyed on the mountainsides around Jerusalem. He went into God's house. You can always tell when evil has control because they build demonic altars in the house of God. And he burned his son as a burnt offering. Man. And used fortune tellings and omens and dealt with mediums and necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. All right, so here's a nice verse on God's anger. You can, you can provoke God to anger. And the carved image of the Asherah that he made, he set in the house of the Lord. Now, you got to understand, an Asherah pole is, and I don't know a delicate way to say it, 
it, it's a giant male sexual organ at full erection, and they've carved one, all right? And he set it in the house of God, of which the Lord had said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. So Satan just wanted to have a sexual yuch in the face of God. And I will not cause the feet of Israel to wander any more out of the land that I gave to their fathers if, here's conditional promises, if they will be careful to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded. But they did not listen. And Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done whom the Lord destroyed before the peoples of Israel. So all those nations that God removed do more evil than the removed. And the Lord said by his servants, the prophets, because Manasseh, the king of Judah, has committed these abominations and have done things more evil. Here's degrees of sin. Sin is not just sin. There are degrees of sin. More evil than all the Amorites did who were before him. And he also made Judah to sin with his idols. So he is the cause of sin. He's the cause of sin. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judea such disaster, that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plumb line of the house of Ahab. And I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. And I will forsake the remnant of my heritage and give them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies, because they have done what is evil in my sight. Again, go back. It's not the world's sight, God's sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. Moreover, Manasseh shed much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one into another, besides the sin that he made Judah to commit sin, so that they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and all he did and the sin he committed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Manasseh slept with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his house, in the garden of Uzzah. And Ammon, his son, reigned in his place. And Ammon was twenty-two years old when he began to reign. And he reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Meshulameth, the daughter of Haruz of Jatba. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as Manasseh his father had done. All right, so... You pass on family cultural sin. And he walked in the way in which his father had walked and served the idols that his father served and worshipped them. And he abandoned the Lord, the God of his fathers, and did not walk in the way of the Lord. And the servants of Ammon conspired against him, and they put the king to death in his house. But the people of the land struck down all those who had conspired against King Ammon, And the people of the land made Josiah his son king in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Ammon that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the king of Judah? And he was buried in the tomb in the garden of Uzzah, 
and Josiah his son reigned in his place. Chapter 22, verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkoth. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, maybe not right in the eyes of the world, but in the eyes of the Lord, and walked in all the way of David, his father. Wow. So he goes all the way back to King David to learn a new lifestyle, a new pattern of life. And he did not turn aside to the right or the left. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the secretary, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have oversight of the house of God. And let them give it to the workmen who are the house of God repairing the house, that is, to the carpenters and to the builders and to the masons. And let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair God's house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly. Boy, I wish that was always true. For they deal honestly. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law <laughs> in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan to read it. And Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have oversight of the house of God. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam the son of Shaphan and Achbor the son of Bakiah and Shaphan the secretary and Asiah the king's servant saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for this people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam and Akbor and Shaphan and Asiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tekvah, son of Horas, Haras, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter and they talked to her. All right, here is a woman prophet. Now, for, you know, for all these people to keep talking about women shouldn't, you know, minister. Well, her husband's a successful man. He's the keeper of the wardrobe, and she's a prophetess of God. Amazing. Amazing how I, I just don't get this new complementarianism and this these new doctrines where women are to be silent. You know, they just totally distort Paul. Look, look at Hulda the prophetess. The king. I mean, this woman was such a woman of God that a young king who honestly wanted to serve God inquires of this prophetess. And she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants, all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me, 
and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard. And I love this. Because your heart was penitent, and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard how I spoke against this place, and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and have torn your clothes and wept before me, I have also heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and you shall not see the disaster that I have brought against this place. Gather to your grave in peace. This man, because he had a humble heart, God delayed judgment. God delays judgment for a humble king. (laughs) A whole generation had good things because the king had a humble heart. Wow. You can just sit down and meditate on that all day long. One man can make a difference. Wow. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. Second princess, one princess, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yet in Christ. And so the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Let's sing. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. It is so. It is so.
Our New Testament passage today picks up in Acts chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. So he leaves Ephesus, and he departs from Macedonia. And when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Now, let me begin to give you a little bit of a picture of what this looks like. So Paul is in Ephesus. I'll use red here. Okay, Paul is in Ephesus. This is Ephesus, a little bigger. Paul is in Ephesus. He comes up to Macedonia and he spends time here. Then he comes down into the Greece area, especially to Corinth. And then he finds out that people are wanting to kill him. Now, please remember, Paul has this great offering with him that he wants to take to the church of Jerusalem. Now, Paul had planned to leave Corinth area and go straight to Antioch of Assyria. That was his plan. But because he heard these people wanted to kill him, he said, all right, we're going to have to do this a little differently. So he puts these guys on a boat and sends them up to Troas. This is, the, this is where the offering went. But him personally, he went back up through Macedonia over to Philippi and met them in Troas. Paul was trying to protect the offering that was going to the church of Jerusalem. In fact, in short, Paul was being bait. He said, all right, you want to you fight me, you fight me, but the work of God will be kept safe. This, this offering will be kept safe. Sopater, the Berean, son of Phyrus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychias and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. All right, so these are the guys I told you. They went by boat to Troas. They, came, they, just, they took the easy way on the Aegean Sea. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of the unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, and there we stayed for seven days. Now this is Paul coming back from Philippi over here, and he meets the rest of the team here. So he's got one group that's come up, he's come down. And now they're together in Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, our first day of the week, okay, church is on Sunday, Sunday church, first day of the week, we gathered together to break bread communion. Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. Okay, this is a long sermon. Okay. And there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered. All right, so this is a well-lit room. Well-lighted room. Now, this is something that we had to talk to people about a little bit today. Because, you know, churches want to turn all the lights off. They want everything to be dark. They're trying to create atmosphere. You don't need to create atmosphere. You just need the Holy Ghost to move, all right? You don't need to, to, to deal with people's emotions by smells and by lighting and things like that. I'm, I'm sorry. There were many lamps, not, not just a few lamps, many lamps. Paul preached in a well-lit room because the purpose of this is to study, Viva. 
church should be well lit. Church should not be a darkened environment with a spotlight on a person on the platform. Okay, Church should be a well lit room. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked longer and longer. Now, I, I can think of some young people that fall asleep during my sermons, and they're, they're short compared to Paul's, okay? And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, bent over him, and taking him in his arms, he said, Don't be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long time until daybreak, and so he departed. So you're talking about an all-day and an all-night sermon. And he took the youth away, and they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. Not a little. They were greatly comforted. Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to see something here. This is Paul's last teaching with them. Can you imagine how long Brother John would preach if he knew it was the very last sermon he would ever preach with us here at COP? I got news for you. It'd be a long sermon because he wants to get everything out of his heart. He wants he, he would want to pour himself into us. But going on ahead to the ship, we sailed to Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there. For so he had arranged, intending to go himself by land. All right, let's back up to our map a little bit. Here's Troas. And Assos would be right down here. Just, just a short, short little trip, all right? Assos would be right down here on the shore. Just this little area right here. So Troas is here. Assos is there. Paul went over land so he could spend just a little bit more time teaching the people. And the others went by boat. But when he met us at Assos, we took him aboard and we went to Medellin. And sailing from there, we came the opposite day, opposite Chios, and the next day to Samos, and after that we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that we might not spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now again, look at the trip. They sail from Assos, they come down the coast here. This is a coastal vessel, so they say close to the coast. They come down the coast here, and then they finally get to Miletus. So he has skipped Ephesus. He stayed out of the harbor of Ephesus and comes straight to Miletus, right there on the coastal shore. About a day's walk, say, from Ephesus. Now notice, it's not that he wanted to be mean to the people of Ephesus. He loved them. But he said, you know, we're going to have to get to Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So he called for the leaders. And he said, and they came and he said to them, all right, so this is a pastor's training. He's training the pastors. And when they came, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you. The whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, he said, you know, you know how I lived. He said, my life. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews. He said, my life, my attitudes during experiences. How I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Now, 
Here is pastoral work. This is pastoral work. He said, I did not shrink back. I didn't hold back from teaching anything that was profitable to you. He said, I, I didn't just stay with the fun doctrines. He said, anything that was going to help you grow, I taught you. Now, you know, there are things that are just great fun to teach. But then there are things that are not so much fun to teach, but people still need to learn them. He said, teaching anything that was profitable, teaching you in public and from house to house. As pastors, we can't just teach like the church is an event center. We have to also go house to house. This is why we spend so much time in visitation. Well, not during lockdown. We're kind of frustrated by that. But I will tell you that the most effective teaching that we get to do as pastors is not in the main auditorium. It's sitting down with you in your home and teaching the word specifically to you, tailored right to your situation, house to house. We're greatly looking forward to visitation again. Testifying to both Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So repentance and faith. These are two great messages. Now the church world today wants to leave out repentance. They love faith, but we've also got to teach repentance. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Now notice, every place Paul went, we're talking Berea, Thessalonica, we're talking Athens, we're talking Corinth, we're talking Sincrea, we're talking Troas. Every place Paul went, the Holy Spirit warned him about what would happen in Jerusalem. He said, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord. Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul's ministry is to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And he said that ministry I received from the Lord. He said, I want to finish my course. I like that. And now behold, I know that none among you whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, he said, this is how to leave. He said, because you'll never see my face again, therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all. Now we get back into the Ezekiel passage, that we warn a wicked man of his wicked way, and we warn a righteous man if he's starting to get into wickedness. He said, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Now he's talking, remember, he's talking to pastors. Of the church of Ephesus. Pay attention to yourselves and to all of your flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He said, you need to pay attention to yourself. He said, young pastors, you got to pay attention to yourself. There are so many young pastors. They don't read their Bibles. They don't pray. And they stand up and they talk like they know what they're talking about, but they're empty inside. And, and they, they, it's all about attention on themselves and all about condemning everybody else to try to draw a crowd with themselves. They never pay close attention to themselves. And they don't pay attention to the flock. They don't care about the people. They just care about getting people to themselves. He said, now the Holy Spirit made you overseers over one flock. Notice, flock, not many. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. 
He said, I know, okay, things Paul knew. Let me open this up bigger for you. Things Paul knew. He said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after themselves. Two great dangers for local churches. The first great danger of a local church are the wolves, the predators. Okay, these are predators. They come in from the outside. The predators from the outside. And then he says, and from among your own selves will men arise speaking twisted things in order to draw away disciples after them. All right, so not only do you have the wolves, but you have the selfish dividers, the SD. The selfish dividers. And they come from inside. And he said, number one, they speak twisted things. He said, everything they speak is twisted. And he said, secondly, their purpose is to compete for the people. They're competing for the people. God did not, now notice, the Holy Spirit did this. Very different. The Holy Spirit gave these people. said, you are to be overseers over this people. But these people, these among yourselves, twisted speakers, they want to compete for the people. They want to draw away disciples after them. Now, beloved, you have to just learn. When you see these people speaking twisted things, defriend them on Facebook, them, whatever you call that stuff, and stop giving these people attention. Because, forgive me, they speak twisted things, and their only purpose is competing for the people that, forgive me, God didn't give them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. And now I commend you to the Lord. One, and to the word of his grace. Two, which is able to build you up. One, and to give you inheritance among those who are sanctified. I love that. He said, I commend you to God. And I commend you to the word of his grace. Now this, this is a sermon. Whoa. I commend you to the word of his grace. Wow. Said, the word of his grace will build you up and the word of his grace will give you an inheritance. Now he says, you know what? I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. He said, you know what? I wasn't after what anybody had. Now I believe God blessed Paul, but Paul said, I coveted nothing from people. He said, I rejoiced when you prospered. I rejoiced when people were blessed. He said, I didn't covet anybody's silver. I didn't covet anybody's gold. He said, I didn't covet anybody's apparel. You know, it's amazing to me how, and, and he's talking here to pastors, okay? Remember, he's talking to the pastors. He said, I, I didn't say, well, why, why do you have more than me? He said, I, I wasn't, he's talking to pastors. So these pastors were prospering. He said, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. 
In all these things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And you go, where did he say this? This is one of those things we don't have written down in the Gospels. But these are the words of Jesus. Paul tells us these are the words of the Savior. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Now again, he's speaking to preachers. He said, guys, it's better to be a giver than a receiver. <laughs> I love it. And there was much weeping on the part of all. Now again, remember, these are the pastors. These are the people that birthed a revival that changed what was then called Asia. And there was much weeping on the part of all, and they embraced Paul and kissed him being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. There's so much in here. There's just, there's just so, so much in here. A little bit of Proverbs to close out for some wisdom today. Proverbs chapter 31, verses 20 to, verses 20 to 23. Again, this is the Proverbs 31 woman. She opens her hands to the poor, so a great woman is generous. She reaches out her hands to the needy. So she opens her hand, there's generosity. She reaches out her hand, there's service. She generous and she serves the poor and the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are dressed in scarlet. She makes bed linen, bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. She's, she's dressed well. She's dressed well. Her household is dressed warm <laughs> in the cold. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Now, the gates is where business and government is done. Her husband is known. He's a leader. Her husband is a leader. Now, brothers and sisters, too often we find in today's world, especially among Christians, that people want to put strong women down. But you see, a strong woman has a successful husband who's a leader. He's known in the gates of the city. A strong woman has a strong husband. He's known in the places of leadership, in the places of business in their city. You know what I learned a long time ago? And I don't remember who taught this to me, but whoever they were were clever. They said, you know, a great woman will make a mediocre man a great man. And you know what? I've always kind of figured that. Guys, forgive me, but straight up talk with some of you. Some of you young men, you, you want a wallflower. You want a cute little picture to hang on the wall. When you, what you don't understand. Guys, if you would marry that strong woman that attracted you, what in the world could your life accomplish? Just, I mean, please. You've got a partner at your side. And that's what Malachi says marriage is. It's, it's a covenant of partnership. Now, guys... For too many years, I've heard people say, young men are not attracted to strong women. You know what, guys? 
you need to change your attraction model. Okay, you need to begin to realize a strong woman is exactly what you need at your side for the rest of your life. All right, we'll close up there tonight. We'll see you tonight at 7 o'clock as we continue with Missions Week. We'll see you then.